to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Friday. Thanks for tuning in to the Steve Day Show podcast here on Westwood One. That would be me. Todd and Aaron are here as well. We are powered each day by CRTV. And we just concluded production for today's CRTV show. It's the Dace Group Roundtable, our weekly look at the week that was. So if you've never watched our show before on CRTV... Or maybe you just get busy and you're like, man, I wish I could watch every day. I'm already a subscriber. I try to catch it as often as I can. You know, Friday's a great day because we get you wrapped up on what the big stories were throughout the course of the week. CRTV.com is where you can watch. If you're not yet a subscriber to CRTV, use my name as a promo code. Promo code DACE. That's D-E-A-C-E and you'll get a discounted subscription that'll be just about a quarter a day. That's all it will cost for you to subscribe to CRTV. Not just our show, but Mark Levin, Stephen Crowder, the whole team here at CRTV.com. Now, we love to know what you think about what we think on this show, and you can let us know by emailing us, steve at stevedace.com. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show, and the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. And today is the day that we look back on some of that feedback here on the podcast. It is a Feedback Friday. You guys ready to go? Love this segment, yeah. Let's begin with Randy Greer. He writes, I have a theory on the 2018 election that Trump doesn't care if Republicans win or lose. If they lose, he can fire up the people to let them know what he has to go through just to do something in Washington, D.C. I don't think the impeachment will happen because it will be his newest show. This is where 2020 comes in because it'll be 2016 all over again. Trump will go out to the people he needs and win again. Well, Let me say this as a person who has experience with the futility of this pursuit. Randy, for people like you and me, and and I understand I have some public notoriety because of the job I do. I'm not going to pee on you and tell you it's raining. Okay, I'm not going to do the humble brag. I understand I am a public figure because of the job I do. But I'm also a public figure who lives in Des Moines, Iowa. And after I took my son to football practice last night, I took him through the Burger King drive through to get chicken nuggets, and then we went and saw Venom, okay? So yes, I am a public figure, unlike most of you listening, but in reality, my life, other than that part of my career, is not that much different than all of you that are listening, okay? And the President of the United States, not just because he's President, but even before this, is living in... In an existence we can't begin to fathom. So theorizing, psychoanalyzing can be difficult. Because a key aspect of that being successful is your ability to empathize with the person you're psychoanalyzing. And it's really hard to empathize with one, a person who has almost no empathy. And then two, a person who doesn't have almost any of the accountability in his life that you and I have to live with on a, on a basic level. At all. We're talking about a 60-year-old guy that uses his own penis as the gun in a game of Russian roulette where he has unprotected sex with a porn star 40 years younger. 
you know, who's out there having unprotected sex with all kinds of strange men who are having unprotected sex with other strange women on camera. <laughs> okay? This is in existence. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, a lot of the guys listening to this show are paranoid that their wives will get up in the middle of the night and catch them on their computers watching that pornography that was taped. Trump's having sex with the people that were doing the pornography. He's at a totally different level. So, so you know, we have to be real careful about psychoanalyzing someone whose existence is not on the same astral plane. All right? Which is why I'm out of the Trump psychoanalysis business. And instead, I'm just... I'm, I'm, I'm just observing him in his natural habitat. And I, what I see in his natural habitat, and you guys can tell me if, if you think I'm wrong, by the way, okay? Is, is I think I see a guy that he doesn't define winning the way you and I do. Winning is defined solely by what lines up with his self-interest. Period. And the self-interest are malleable and can be reasonably changed at any point in time once the circumstances on the ground change so that I can always declare that I'm winning. He resets the Kobayashi Maru test every day. So you have to understand in Trump's world, any outcome in November is going to be a win. Any outcome. Period. No matter what it is. Two, um, there is no way in hell, and I don't care if they have the Demo if they have the House majority by one seat, there is no way in hell the Democrats are getting the House majority and not impeaching Trump, guys. No way. The same people you just watched for the last week and a half, You think they're going to suddenly show any modicum of political restraint? No. No. And I think for Donald Trump, an impeachment is a win. Or Republicans getting the House and keeping it is a win. Because for Donald Trump, you can declare a win. If the Republicans lose the House and it's an impeachment, he loves being the center of attention. Nothing will make you more the center of attention than an impeachment will. And it gives him an excuse to take the gloves off and just go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Chuck and Nancy. And if he's not in P, if the, if they, if the Dem Republicans somehow held on to the House, he can totally spin all the negative polls that he's got a 40% approval rating and all that stuff into saying, fake news, America loves me. He'll, you have to understand, in the mind of Donald Trump, in the, I shouldn't say the mind, in the world of Donald Trump, he, you never lose. He's going to win no matter what the circumstances are or no matter what the ramifications and consequences are for the people around him. Whether campaign managers go to prison, whether the current wife gets shamed by the fact she was at home nursing the child while he's having, uh, you know, uh, tonsil hockey with a porn star. I mean, it, everything's a win. Everything is a win. Everything. No matter what. No matter what the outcome is, is a win to him. That's why I think it's dangerous to analyze what outcome he wants. A force of nature doesn't care. Like right now, it's thunderstorming outside. The thunderstorm doesn't care if I go outside with an umbrella or not. If I go outside with 
the proper rain attire or not? What's it going to continue to do regardless of how I'm dressed? Or how I'm equipped, what will it do? Thunderstorm. Thunderstorm. Yeah, it's a force of nature. It just doesn't care. And that's what he is. He is a force of nature. I don't think there's four-dimensional chess. I don't think there's empathy. I think there's just, how do I turn this to my advantage, claim a win, and get a trophy out of every situation? Period. End of sentence. Doc. Uh, dead on. The uh, Donald Trump that you need to concern yourself with when it applies to Republicans, Democrats, anybody is, uh, uh, you can grab them by the blankety-blank. You can do whatever you want. That's... That's his id, his ego, and his super ego all wrapped up into one. He's, he, he, Steve is absolutely right that he will find, if the Republicans went, man, you, you guys are so lucky that uh, I'm on top of, uh, if I'm not on top of this ticket, I'm in charge of this party, and if he loses, why can't you guys be cool like me, man? I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's what Steve said. Randy, um I used this line early on in his note, and he said, Donald Trump doesn't care about, and I was thinking, I just kind of tuned out for the rest of the time, (laughs) because there's only one wrong way. (laughs) There's only one wrong way to end that sentence. The only wrong way, untrue way to end that state, that sentence is Donald Trump doesn't care about Donald Trump. That is the only that is the only wrong way to end that sentence. And so that's kind of the only thing you need to know about his psychological makeup. Next note, this is from Barrett Hubbard here in our home state of Iowa. He's down I-80 in Cedar Rapids. He says, I love your show. You guys are a breath of fresh air and desperately needed in this day and age. Your comment recently about how people don't want to admit to the situation political or otherwise that they are in is not where they want because if it's not where they want to be because that will require them to actually do something about it was spot on i want to take this one step further and apply it to god the reason that most people will accept the notion of evolution even though when somebody actually gets into the science of evolution they will find that it is not science after all but a religion is that if they acknowledge that god created them they will be accountable to god for the lives that they lived and so they find that it is easier to reject god and accept the religion of evolution so that they can pretend that they are not accountable to God. That is exactly right. Paul addresses this in Romans 1. We su- what does Paul mean when he says we suppress the truth in our unrighteousness? It means we ignore what we know to be true because it gets in the way of us living the way we prefer. That's what he means. And believing what we want. You know, I saw a great example of this in the Venom movie when I took Noah to see it last night. So... Um, the movie's not as bad as the last Fantastic Four movie. Don't get me wrong, it's not good. But it's not nearly that bad. And it's actually fascinating watching Tom Hardy play Eddie Brock is down on his luck and watching him become the anti-hero. It's got a certain little shop of horrors vibe where he's got this beast that he's protecting and he eventually teaches him how to only eat bad people. So it's got a very little shop of horrors thing going on, okay? Um... Everything else about the movie is bad. Wor- the worst thing is the villain. I, I, I saw bad once you said Little Shop of Horrors, but okay. The, the, the villain is terrible. He's terribly performed. He's terribly written, terribly acted. Who is it? Just so I know. Uh, it's a character out of the comics named Carlton Davis, who is a kind of a modern day Elon Musk. He, and he, does he have a name? I mean, what's that's his, his name. That's the character's name. 
Oh, he doesn't have like a Mysterio oh, it, or no. Something. Oh, okay. Well, he ends up he ends up becoming one of the symbiotes. He ends up merging with one of the alien symbiotes that Eddie Brock merges with one called Venom. He merges with one called Riot. That does happen. In Riot. The comic okay. Too. Okay. All right. Um, there's one scene where you can tell the writers thought they were like really onto something with this man. They thought this was going to be like really poignant. And the first test subject for the symbiote, the guy's name is Isaac. And the villain, who's this Elon, this wicked version of Elon Musk, basically, starts talking about Isaac from the Bible. And what happened about uh, Isaac being uh, uh, offered up to God as a sacrifice. And this Isaac is going to be offered up to the God of science as a sacrifice to merge to the next stage of human evolution. And then he says, well, but, you know, on the other hand, I, I don't understand what kind of God would, would, would ask for that kind of a sacrifice. As he proceeds with said sacrifice, with said sacrifice and then hmm. follows through with it. Because, of course, God wasn't asking for Isaac as a sacrifice, right? What was he, what was he doing? He was testing Abraham's faith, okay? So the, the, the irony of this moment as I'm watching the movie, where they probably think they're making some really cool progressive statement, but the problem is the, the character they're using to wield it is a terrible human being. Who will then go on, declare himself, ye be like God, and all kinds of people will die the rest of the movie and get their heads ripped off, literally, because of his decisions. And that goes to what Barrett is talking about. We like to judge God. And then we're like, don't hold me accountable to the same standard. I don't know how a loving God could do blank, 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 blank. You ever ask yourself, hmm, <clears throat> I don't know how a self-confessed, professed, loving, enlightened person could do blank, 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 blank. Please just judge me by my motivations, or I mean my intentions, though. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, Barrett, in philosophy, what you're describing is what is called consequentialism. I'm going to, let me repeat that so you remember it for the future. It's called consequentialism. And what it means is I concoct a belief system on the basis of the outcome that I desire to be true or the consequences of an action. So I want to be able to kill my child if I don't want to have to raise it. So I will concoct a morality, even a new language where I'll take a word like fetus that literally means child, and I will think I'm using this term to dehumanize the child. When in reality, I'm just calling it a child by another name. <laughs> okay? Um, but this is an, these are examples of consequentialism. I want Also the, known as progressivism. Well, right? yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Len writes, just curious, why doesn't someone submit a FOIA, Freedom of Information Request, to get info on the congressional slush fund used to pay off sexual harassment victims? Clearly, none of the congressmen accused are qualified to participate in the Kavanaugh confirmation. Aaron, that's a really good question. Are you surprised there hasn't been a media entity that has gone? Or, or do you think, Aaron, that it says most of the media now is essentially a mouthpiece for one side? partisans or the other 
that it's it's likely this congressional slush fund into sex offenders is so systemically, comprehensively bipartisan that it's mutually assured destruction. Yes. And so therefore it doesn't do whether it's it's Fox or MSNBC or Breitbart or Vox. It doesn't do anybody any good to expose this because everybody's getting lit up on this. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the media, as we talked about yesterday, uh, the, the, main, the vast majority of the mainstream media is just the mouthpiece. It is just a reflection of a certain audience and whatever that audience wants to hear. There's very little... Um, what, we need to stop thinking, and this is this is terrible to say, um, but we need to stop thinking about the media as the what the fourth estate, uh, where it's trying to keep a whole people account. No, it's just entertainment for um, it's it's nonfiction entertainment for um, a, a certain point of view. That's the ma- that's the vast majority, and so stories like that where there's no benefit to titillating that desired audience or the audience you're trying to reach. Yeah, yeah, I could see that as a viable theory. Yeah, I mean, you blow up Bob Menendez, just not alleging anything, just you know, throwing a name out there. Yeah, because in the Senate, or you uh, blow up or, Bob Menendez, or or Bob M- Menendez too. Or, or, <laughs> So Fox blows up, sues for FOIA and blows up Bob Menendez. MSNBC sues FOIA. Who do they blow up? Right? Right. No, I totally With an R after their name. Who gets blown up? Right? Uh, Andrew Sawhill says, I'm running a little behind on the podcast, but I got to tell you, I just heard the arguments from a smug Wisconsin fan and a douchebag Iowa fan, and I haven't laughed that hard in years. Keep it up, guys. You're doing great. Thanks. I think. I got a lot of reaction. Very similar <laughs> so to did this. We. Did you? <laughs> yeah. This this email was repeated derivatives thereof often in my inbox. Yeah. There was a lot of enjoyment watching you two show your uh, butt cheeks to the uh, to the audience. Well, tune in next year. Anytime I can show my butt cheek. Wait. Okay. Drew Johnston says I had a long note about some of your recent shows, but I changed my mind about writing it out, so I'll just keep it brief now. Keep telling me what I don't want to hear. I am deeply indebted to you guys for fearlessly doing it thus far. He gets it. You get it, Drew. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. That's one of the best things you can say to us, in fact. Kent writes, when you say Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her merry band of Democrat socialists reject the logic and or fact-based arguments against their platform, are they doing that from a position of recognizing the truth of the opposing argument and affirmatively rejecting that in favor of their values? Or are they doing it from a position of their values blinding them to the truth of the opposing argument as well so they're claiming any opposition is untrue? I think the answer to that question is profound because it's one thing to reject a truth among others to hold something they favor emotionally and intellectually, but something very different to reject the truth in favor of something they value emotionally but intellectually know to be wrong. How would you answer that, Todd? Uh, you are thinking about this way too much. At some point, uh, we, we've talked about we, you've, just recently. You, you've, you, oh, I think it was theology Thursday, but you talked about you know why we can recognize that a wolf is dangerous. We don't need to be taught that. I, you, their motivations now, while they might be interesting, um, that that. We need to just simply be focusing on, as we've talked about on the television show, and as I've said multiple times, war is upon you whether you wish it or not. By their actions now, uh, their motives would have been interesting if we thought there was still a Venn diagram worth saving. We, they, 
two different worlds, two different cultures. Steve's also talked about that uh, frequently. Uh, I'm just, I've worked with them, alongside them, in uh, journalism, uh, studied with them, in education. Uh, I've long known what their motives are. They are interesting on some level, but it's not the point anymore. You, war has been declared upon you. That's that's what I would say. And it's because I think the more we, we, we talk too in-depth in that, I'm reading into this, like, there's a sense that we can problem-solve this. I just, we can't. We can't. I also think there's probably a generational thing here, okay? Um, for the Ocasio-Cortezes of the world, this is a matter, this is, this is the consequence of an inculcation, of an indoctrination. They were born towards the end or after the Cold War. So the, the consequences of their belief system weren't, wasn't playing out in the news every night. Number one, and that that makes them more vulnerable and prone to an indoctrination of human nature is basically good, and that's why if we yes, reject, we throw off the 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 patriarchal heteronormative Judeo Christian antiquated yes. notions of yes. of absolutism, then we can we can use the common good yes. that's within human nature to create a, a general welfare common good yep. for the world as a whole, okay? The older generation that bought into this largely were just um, anti-Christian radicals. I mean, frankly, they were right out of Genesis chapter three. They were, you know, God-haters shaking their fist at heaven and we want the world to be the way that we want it to be, uh, even though we're old enough to know better that that's not the way the world works. In her generation, you're dealing with flat-out indoctrination. And so you've probably seen this, Aaron, because this is your generation. Mm -hmm. they, don't, they, could, they, don't, they don't know... Um, they don't know what they don't know. They don't know what they don't... That's a great way of putting it. They don't know what they don't know. Or as the prophet would say, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Okay. Why, why in the Old Testament did God say to the Jewish people, hey, keep these tassels, make these marks, put up these living monuments, have these festivals, have these events. Why, why were these... Where, where was all this ritualistic commemoration? What was the point of it? Well, the point of it was to was to was to prick the conscience, to get them to remember what God did for His people on this day, and that's why this is a God worthy of remembering and obeying the following days. When those traditions don't get passed on, when those beliefs and values don't get passed on, you end up in the those those people end up in the Valley of Ben Hinnom casting their babies into the fire to Molech. That's Ocasio-Cortez's generation. Yep. We, we spent all of our energy fighting her belief system when it was over there. And we've spent almost no energy fighting it since it was imported over here. And now the education system and everything is frankly too far gone to be fixed. Too far gone to be fixed. And... We're, and we're now even subsidizing. We're subsidizing what they believe. We're subsidizing what they think. You're paying for it. So in the last generation, we, we, we racked up record debts and deficits 
to build a military that could drive the Soviet Union out of existence, right? That's what we did. In this generation, what we're doing is racking up record deficits and debt. And part of it is so we can take Sovietism and teach it to your kids at K through 12 and especially university. That's what we're doing now. Doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like we won the Cold War. <laughs> when, when, when you came in and asked me about Venom, what did you ask me? Is the movie that bad? What did I say? You said it's it's not well, it's not that bad, but it's but it's not, not good. Good. Uh, yes. Did we win the Cold War or did the Soviet Union lose? See where I'm going with this? Hmm. Yes. There's no question the Soviet Union lost. I have a question whether we won. Because I'm old enough, and you and I, Todd, are now old enough to remember. Are you rejecting a binary choice? Yes. Yeah, nice. we, well done. We are having, we're having all the same arguments we were having with Brezhnev when we were kids. We're now having them with the professors at the universities we're sending our kids to. Right. We're now, I'm, I'm having them on cable news. You know who else like, thinks the West is about Christian Sharia? Like that, that's, you know ridiculous argument I had on oh, HLN a yeah. few months ago. You know who used to say you know who else used to say things like that? Khrushchev when he used to bang his foot, his, his shoe on the podium and say, you know, your children we will we, we will bury you. You know, the Politburo used to that, that was in their propaganda. So I don't think there's any question the Soviet Union lost the Cold War. I think there's an awful lot of questions about whether or not we actually won this thing. But your larger point remains. I, I think what Kent is getting at is: are the, is this a reachable group? Is this a reachable group of people? And every every the answer is always yes. But it's not going to be reachable with what most of you believe you can reach them with. Most of you believe you can reach people with reason. Most of you believe you can reach people with facts. You can if they believe in reason and facts. But they don't. If they believed in reason and facts, would they believe in this? No. No. If they accepted the world for what it was, would they would they buy into this to begin with? No. They believe in a world that is as they want it to be. Yes. This is Genesis 3, ye be like God, and there is no Tucker Carlson clip. As good as a lot of those clips frankly are, there is no Tucker Carlson clip you're going to show them. That is going to make them think, you know what? Maybe the universe really isn't divided between the haves and the have-nots, and I just had it wrong this whole time. It's not going to happen. This is a spiritual condition, guys. Yep. This is hardcore levels of idolatry. This is a false religion. It is not a political ideology. It's a religion, guys. You're dealing with smarter Jehovah's Witnesses, guys. That's what you're dealing with. And if you can and you can point out how many people died from socialism in the last century, we try those arguments with Darwin too. Doesn't save any doesn't save anybody who questions evolution from having their tenure robbed of them at a university in America, does it when we do that? No. No. I've used this analogy before. It's Donald Pleasant's incredible rant about Michael Myers in the first Halloween movie. He cannot be contained, he cannot be stopped, he cannot be killed. That's what you're up against. There is an antidote. We just, as a culture, don't want to use it. Because we're kind of, you know, on the right, there's a lot of ye be like God too. 
So I'll just send them this blanky blank political book. I'll send them this blankety blank fill in the blank political speech. And here's what happens too. Oh, boy, tell me if you don't tell me if this story doesn't get close to home. So here's what happens. Okay, you have this you have this family member of yours. You don't understand why they support abortion. And so, like, you send them, you know, and they and they hate and they view themselves as into tolerance and diversity and minority rights. And so, you send them the the actual data on how many black children have been killed by Planned Parenthood. You send them a powerful pro life speech, maybe even by somebody like me. You line up all the facts. Doesn't change their minds. In fact. They just get really mad and angry at you, and it makes it worse. A few years ago, I was working on an initiative with a friend of mine who pastors one of the largest black churches in Iowa. And we were going around to black churches here in central Iowa about becoming pro-life. And with the racist history of, of Planned Parenthood and Margaret Sanger and all the documentation, and Rebecca had your old, your, your, uh, predecessor over there, Aaron, had created an incredible PowerPoint of this that was extreme. Did you ever see it, Todd? No. It was really powerful. We go, we go to this prominent black church here in Des Moines one Saturday afternoon, and Rebecca gives this presentation. And then I, the way it would work is Rebecca would give the layout presentation of the facts, and then I would take all the snotty questions after. So Rebecca lays out, so she's the good cop, put the pretty young girl up there with the sweet voice to lay out all the, give them the bad news, okay? And then I come in, I'm the bad guy, middle-aged guy, white guy with receding hairline. I take all the snotty questions, all right? So one woman gets up, one black woman gets up and wants to argue with me. And I, and I, which you know me, I'm totally fine with, but... <laughs> But I, I'm, I want to convert her. And we are, we're in this, and I, where is this taking place, by the way? We're in what building? A church. A church. And I said to her, Ma- ma'am, do you doubt the data that we gave you? Do you think we made these quotes up from Margaret Sanger? Do you think your pastor, Keith Ratliff over here, do you think he's lying to you? Do you think he's brought these white people into your church to, to, to uh, after all these years, He's been working on civil rights. I said to her, ma'am, he's been, this, your pastor has been fighting for civil rights since before you were born. And you think suddenly now at the end of his life where he's stricken by several diseases and he can't get around without a cane and a walker. You think at the end of his life, he just brought chubby white guy in here on a Saturday before Christmas to alienate his congregation by just making stuff up. Do you think that's what happened here? That's how frustrated I was getting with the conversation. You know what she said to me? She goes, no, I, I, I don't doubt any of your data or any of your quotes at all. And again, this happened in a church. She looked at me and Keith was sitting right next to me. And she said, I don't care. Yep. I don't, I, we got enough babies without daddies. We don't need any more. And if my daughter gets pregnant and doesn't want her kid, she shouldn't have to keep it. And I don't think God would want her to. 
What were you saying about consequentialism? Right there? Yes. There's no Fox News clip, no Rush Limbaugh clip, no CRTV clip, no Ben Shapiro column or book. As brilliant and as great as a lot of those things are, that's going to pierce that conscience. That is going to require a divine power. Because if I can't even make a reasoned argument in a church, tell me how you're going to make a reasoned argument out there. You're not. Because you're dealing with people who are beyond reason. This is where even, there's a reason why when the mob got to the point of being unsatiated outside Lot's house, the most powerful being in the universe even looked at that and said, Reset. He had to reset. That's kind of what you're describing, right, Don? Yeah. And it's why, hey, it's always good when uh, truth is preached in church. I mean, you would, with, within your rights at that point when she spoke up, say, hey, can I get a witness there? Hey, at least finally some honesty, huh? Because that, that is the point. That you can't, there's no nuance. There's, oh, if you look at it this way, there's no... It is just, oh, there's Satan. Yes. So the question then probably becomes, if this mindset is this embedded, why do we even try? Well, because we serve a Lord who leaves 99 behind to find the one lost sheep. And though many are called, but few are chosen. The delight in when one person hears the spiritual message and repents is why we do this. For the one. And I'll close with this note. This is from Rachel Griffing Merritt. She writes, I've always watched you guys' show because of how funny you guys are. Your comedic timing is golden. I also love the depth because I grew up as a pastor's kid in a charismatic church in inner city Oakland. And let me tell you, as a family, we've seen it all. Your perspectives on faith sound exactly like mine, and I really identify with you guys. In the 80s, the Lord moved and moved in a mighty way, and my dad was hired to pastor a church in Plano, Texas when I was 14. So we escaped the sewer that is the East Bay region of Northern California just in time. After remaining a virgin until I was 21, I got pregnant with my only child, Jessica. Her dad and I never married, and he committed suicide when Jessica was six. I didn't live for the Lord for several years and sadly got pregnant again. Because I didn't want to break my parents' heart again with another unplanned pregnancy, I had an abortion when I was 24. I convinced myself that I was pro-choice, the consequentialism, right? Commit the sin and then create the ideology that will justify it in your own mind. I convinced myself I was pro-choice until my daughter became old enough to get pregnant. Although I tried to keep quiet about the matter. See, I was ashamed of what I had done. Your commentary a few months ago on Tommy Laren was spot on, I think. Her tone sounded exactly like me during those dark years. Joyfully, however, when my daughter was old enough to learn about sex and the risk of pregnancy, my opinion changed. I became wholeheartedly pro-life and would say so if the subject came up. That went on for a few years, but the older I've gotten, the more vocal I've become on the subject. 
Then at church one Sunday, my sister and I heard our pastor speak on abortion, redemption, and living a new life under the blood. In other words, he confronted their sin. Head on. And not to, not to make them recoil in shame, feeling God will never love me because I did this. But so that they would realize God wants to relieve them of the shame they have been carrying all these years. If they will admit that he is God, they are not. His word is right. Their opinion is wrong. And he simply wants what's best for them. She writes, I knew my sins had been forgiven, but I needed more. My sister and I both went forward for prayer at that altar call where it came out that she also had had an abortion in her 20s. We had kept it secret from each other for 20 years, even though we are very close. The freedom of that moment was transcendent. Since then, the Lord has moved gloriously in our family. We support Embrace Grace group at our church. We support the Hope Center, and we both participate in the Run Baby Run 5K to benefit our local crisis pregnancy center. I truly believe that because of our obedience and humility in that moment in 2014, at the altar where Celeste and I got our spiritual healing, that God blessed both of us in 2018. Her first grandchild arrived in April, and then my miracle happened when my lovely daughter Jessica and her husband announced my grandson, Noel, would be arriving in November. Our family is blessed to have five living generations right now. My daughter will be giving my grandma, Madge Griffing, her fourth great-grandchild. We have an epic 16-generation American heritage dating back to the second Mayflower voyage. We are like joyful Levites, all playing stringed instruments and leading worship at church. God is faithful, and I really want to thank you for speaking the truth without regard of the backlash you get from the left and from the bogus, mealy-mouthed rhino right. You guys' voice is powerful, so I pray for protection around you and your team. I try to spread the word about you guys and your show. Godspeed. Rachel Griffin Merritt. That's why. Right there. And that's why we do this the way that we do this. See, that last paragraph, man, is great. But can you... you <laughs> the amount of pain, guilt, shame, sin, tragedy, alienation, betrayal, the years of that that had to happen, that had to be suffered to get to that last paragraph where that last paragraph is actually where God wanted this to begin and end. But we don't want it to begin and end there. We want it to begin and end where we want it to begin and end. We want to do what we want to do. We want to create belief systems that justify us doing what we want to do. And then when it blows up in our face, we want to blame God for why he allowed it to happen after declaring our freedom from God to make it happen. We suck. Bad. We don't want to admit that. And the consequentialism that you mentioned in progressivism... It's all over the right as well. Yes. We make political calculations. And we're sitting here today sweating out Lisa Murkowski because twice my buddy Joe Miller ran against her and Fox, Drudge, Rush, and most of the quote-unquote conservative media would have nothing to do with him. In 2010, he actually beat her. Beat her straight up in the primary. And then the Republican Party helped her run as a write-in candidate as an independent to beat him in the general. 
so much for, well, we got to rally around the nominee. We got to unite, right? Guess not. Then when he went to Challenger again in 2016, you know, other than us having him on the show and Daniel Horowitz writing a column about him, do you hear anything else about Joe Miller no. at all? This is a guy that already won a statewide primary guy. This isn't, guys, he's not a flake. You don't know, pardon the pun. You know what I'm saying? This isn't some, you know, schmuck throwing his name in there. He, he's got, he's got, you know, support. We couldn't be bothered. You know, we got to do clickbait instead and, and CNN memes. Because the consequentialism is how many clicks did we get? How many listeners do we have? How many books did we sell? Did I get invited to speak? I'll, I'll, you want you want some consequentialism? You know what? I'm inspired by Rachel. Let's just let's just lay it all out. Why not? Let's just have some church. Want to confront some sin? Let's confront some sin. About six months ago, a guy who produced a successful pro-life movie called Voiceless came to me. The movie won several awards at independent film festivals, and. We had met each other last year when I spoke at a huge pro-life banquet in New York City, and he spoke there as well. He came to me six months ago, and he says, I know you're pretty well connected in, in conservative politics. He goes, we're trying to get the Republicans to vote on a federal heartbeat bill like the one you have in Iowa. But Speaker Paul Ryan won't bring it up because all the pro he says, as long as all the pro-life groups are not united, he's not going to bring it up to a vote. And we have one holdout. Who do you think it was, by the way? Which group do you think it was? NRL. Yep, National Right to Life. Wouldn't support it. So he said, you know, I want to put a video together with some conservative luminaries. And he goes, I'll put some of my own money into this. Try to create a viral video that says to National Right to Life, hey, support the heartbeat bill. Let's get that passed in Congress. So I gave him several names. I won't out the names. I won't go that far. I think that's probably going too far. But I gave him several names, people I know, people I'm friends with. None of them would do the video. None of them. None of them did. Why do you think they didn't do it? Because what's the number one way, who's the number one source for pro-life speakers? Na who who, who over helps to oversee the National March for Life in January? Who does all of that? I don't know, but all I can hear is um, the sound of cash registers. National, right, National Rights to Life is heavily involved in all of that. That's why they didn't do it. So, I don't have to say your name. Some of you I know are listening right now. So you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about you. I realized it's not my place to get mad at you. You're not accountable to me. I got my own sins to worry about. When you put your head down at night, when you're accountable to him, comfortable with that? Feel good about that choice? Well, not my place. I'm not your judge, but if it was me, I wouldn't feel comfortable with it. And that goes on around here in this line of work all the time. All the time. 
Final thoughts, Todd Aaron? What was it? I think last theology uh, Thursday night uh, yesterday, but a week ago, when you addressed our audience similarly and you talked about how you what do you like you like the the cages you're in. Um, I know I'm missing the 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 specific context of it, but it was we were riffing on another uh, the, another way that Paul talks about idol worship, uh, and um, well, I'm. I'm proud to be part of a show that will look you in the eye, as another letter writer said, and just you know uh, tells it like it is. Uh, it, it not because makes us feel good. It's actually it, you know it doesn't doesn't make maybe when we were younger, um, more petty, more prideful. Uh, it doesn't make us feel uh, good in any way. It it, it actually hurts. Uh, t- to go Steve Dace doing Alan Ivers. I, I'm tired of it. You know, I, I, I want to fight. It actually felt good uh, to fight and uh, watch some people fight in this Kavanaugh hearing. D- does that mean it's going to go on? Does that mean that some of the people doing the fighting have, uh, haven't sold this out before? Absolutely not. But some people appear to have finally gotten that there is something vital and fundamental at stake. And the only way it is possible for people whose eyes were closed and ears were closed to that is to open them up sometimes with the slap that they need to hear for a for a, a group that this was all about uh the normal uh tit for tat and nominations and the courts and things like that for this to ultimately come about something much bigger uh in terms of uh innocence and protecting it if you carry that forward what innocence means what why it's worth protecting whether in a criminal sense or in the sense of a life an innocent life a life in the womb perhaps uh those are the places we need to go to win back a culture the the main thing has in fact become the main thing i uh it this this thing was not a uh this kavanaugh thing was not a distraction uh there there was gold in them their hills i only hope uh it's just a beginning and not a mirage aaron yeah and um harping again on uh I think Kent's letter was kind of what launched us into, um, you know, what we've been talking about for the last 15, 20 minutes of the podcast and gave us two options regarding somebody like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, whether she suppresses um, the facts uh, because she realizes that her worldview doesn't square with facts or whether her worldview blinds her from. And the answer to that question is yes, but it is a 90 10 proposition in favor of th- the latter. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you start from a worldview that human nature is good, then that means that there you follow that rabbit trail it means that there is no you believe there is no god and when there is no god there is no um there is no transcendent good and evil and when you when when you take those three things that i just mentioned human nature is good there is no god no transcendent standard of good and evil that is uh that combines in a concoction a poisonous concoction that 
everybody, it seems like. Everybody, to some degree, has drunk or has been uh, forced to um, have this waved in front of our face. All that is to say, to underscore, that you are not going to pierce that again. And I just want to underscore this. This has already been talked about ad nauseum. You're not going to pierce that with killer anti-CNN memes. Although those are fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't say they weren't fun. Yeah. <laughs> I just said they probably won't have the desired effect. They won't have the desired effect. But hey, a candy bar is okay every now and then. Yes. You just can't yes. live on that. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. This is, this is, this is a spiritual issue. And if you want to reach somebody like that, okay, um, it is a one-on-one or two-on-two proposition that evangelism is very rarely, very rarely, um, a a massive swath of people. There there are times when God has put people, put men on this face of the planet, and some women as well, standing alongside them to reach vast numbers of people very very quickly. But most of the time, it's a one on one proposition. Can you identify? And this is what we're all called to do as Christians, I believe. Can you identify somebody? Who, uh, who who needs to be evangelized at work, um, in your neighborhood. That's a great place to start. Uh, that is what's going to start changing things, changing the root cause of things. Is if people who actually say they believe in a transcendent God and who recognize our sin problem actually start spreading the good news that somebody took care of our our sin problem. That's what's going to change things at the end of the day. I'm glad you used the word evangelism. Can I, let me close with this. Uh, I took my uh, worldview students uh, last year. I I couldn't continue teaching the class this year because of some commitments we have now with CRTV and and more that uh, you're going to hear more about here in the not too distant future. So I, I couldn't continue that class this year. But what I did for the second semester last year is I took the high schoolers through the book of Acts, chapter by chapter. And I, I really would urge believers in our audience, if you haven't studied Acts in a while, to go back and do it again, particularly in the context of the time in which you live now. One of the things that the early church had to figure out, and they didn't always do it perfectly, but, but they had to figure out simultaneously how to accomplish things that at times seemed to be at odds. You know, the same Paul that says, have words of grace seasoned with salt, is the same Paul that says, you are a son of the devil. The same Paul that writes, mercy triumphs over judgment, is the same Paul that says, throw that evildoer out of church so that Satan will have his way with him. What are you doing with that guy? Is Paul bipolar? Is he hypocritical? What you're recognizing is that there's a discernment needed here, a spiritual maturity that is needed here. That there are wolves and there are sheep. Sheep don't know. Oh, a wolf doesn't want to know. And there's a big difference. Sheep don't know. A wolf does not want to know. Feed the sheep, shoot the wolves. And in a country where we are called as part of our citizenship to political activism on some level, we live in a self-governing society. 
Paul says at the Areopagus there in Mars Hill at Acts that God has decided where everyone will live and for how long. So he has placed us in this nation where we do have the power of some some self-sovereignty. So we are to use that and wield that, but we are to use it and wield it in a way that glorifies God and not ourselves. So how do we defeat worldviews that will end us if we permit it? Without destroying automatically all those who adhere to them at the same time. Because Jesus died for them too. God counted all the hairs on their heads too. They're fearfully and wonderfully made too. Liars, thieves, adulterers, homosexuals, murderers do not inherit the kingdom of heaven, but such as once were all of us. Now they had to figure this out, not in the context of political activism, but in the context of witnessing to their faith counterculturally. They had to, to, to walk this road, this very narrow road with twists and turns, where false teachers need to be called out, disemboweled, where, where skeptics that have questions that even if you answer them a hundred times, you need to be given mercy and grace. And then once they're, when it's clear that they aren't interested in the answers, they're haters. Like we talked about with circumcision yesterday, that, that Paul finally looks at them and says, if you love it so much, just cut your whole penis off then. And let's just end the argument. You're holier than me. This requires a church. Discernment. Wisdom in a multitude of counsel. Mercy. And this is and the same Paul who's helping to lead us as a church navigating these cultural issues in the first century also makes it very clear when there are disputes that do not directly deal with the spiritual confrontation at play in this world, give each other maximum grace for, and mercy for those, for those moments of conscience. Don't fight over those things. Fight over the things that are going to determine this world and the next. I, we need each other is what I'm trying to say. I'm not a Paul. Nobody listening to me is. And I think the other part of what you just said is don't look at other people's sins who sin differently from you Yeah, and say icky. <laughs> yeah. We need each other. We got to give each other a lot of grace and mercy. But then we have to be willing when we offer the grace and mercy and it's clearly rejected, got to be willing to drop the hammer. We tend to do this the opposite way. We tend to be long suffering with people that have long, long ago turned their backs on what we believe. And not nearly as patient as we should be with people whose progress is not as fast as we would assume it should become. We need each other. Thank you for tuning in here today. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. If you have time today, click like or subscribe there on iTunes and Stitcher and give us a positive review there as, as well if you have a few minutes and if you like us. If you don't, don't lie. But if you do, we would appreciate it greatly. Thank you to all of you that have already done those things. Have a great weekend. Until Monday, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like it, you. 